morning. I'd like to welcome you again. I'm Charlie, and welcome the people who are joining us online. Really glad that you are with us today. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor, and we are finishing our series in Proverbs today. And um, a few weeks ago, it was Father's Day, and we have this tradition that on birthdays, um, we do this where you go around and you say what you love and appreciate most about uh, whoever's birthday. We do it on Father's Day too. We do it on Mother's Day. We also do it on our anniversary, which we refer to as our family birthday. We talk about what we love most about being a part of a family. And so a couple weeks ago on Father's Day, uh, we were they were going around saying really sweet things. And then they turned the tables, which is something something new that we started doing, where you, rather than the person who was being honored said, what do you what do you like most? And so they, they basically were asked, like, what do you enjoy most about being a dad? Which you, you may not know me that well. I mean, I just I immediately started tearing up. I just, I just, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a crier. And just even thinking about the question was a really big deal to me. And just kind of what an honor it is uh, to be the dad of three amazing young ladies. Again, some of you don't know me. I have three daughters. They're 23, 20, and nine. And they are awesome. And, and, and the thing that I said was just how, how much I love being able to have this role to be able to shape and, and, and guide and launch out into the world young, confident women. And that I think, I think, I think too often there's just a lot of conflicting ideas about what it means to be a godly woman, a, a strong woman, a competent woman. There's just a lot of different, just a lot of different ideas, and, and a lot of them are just bad. And 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 it can it can make it can make young girls feel like they don't really know what they're supposed to do or who they're supposed to be. And there you can very often have these very narrow stereotypes about what a what a girl is supposed to be, and then ultimately what a woman is supposed to be. And, and my heart has always been, is I just, I just want this world to be full of with at least three more powerful, confident, young, godly, awesome women. And I was thinking about this as we were kind of getting ready today. I was thinking some very stories. Some of you, some of you know this that from very young ages, I have just a sin, not exact. I don't want to say literally dragged kids onto roller coasters when they were just barely tall enough to ride it because, I mean, I, I, I would have picked them up. I, I, they probably would have been dragged, but then I'd pick them up. I, I, like, like, very reluctantly taking taking girls on there. It's like, and some people, you, you'd see that. It's like, I can see you taking, if you have boys making them ride roller coasters, but why would you make your girls ride the roller coasters? I'm like, what's the difference? I, I want them to be confident. I don't, I don't want them to look at things and think that they're scary when they're not. And this is the thing I always tell them. You, you, you don't know that it's scary. Maybe it is. Maybe you're going to hate it. But you don't want, I don't want you to look at something and think that it's scary when you don't know. I want you to have the confidence to do something new even though you might feel that it's scary. And for several years, I coached both of my daughters, both of my older two daughters, in, in basketball. I was their basketball coach. And again, something you knew you can know about me is that I love, I love, I love basketball. So I was, I was coach. And I'm telling you, there's, there's very few things. I feel if, if 
one could make a career out of this, I feel like I could have made a career out of coaching third and fourth grade girls basketball. I feel like I was really, really good at it. And there was this thing that we do. So we'd start in first grade, and, he, and every, every, every year, first practice, I would sit down. Be, you know, my daughter and some girls I didn't know. I said, okay, listen, have you ever been like at recess or something or playing and you're trying to play basketball and the boys say, girls can't play basketball. You ever heard them say that? Yeah. And they think that we're scared of the ball and that you can't play. Like, yeah. I was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to show all those boys that girls are tough. And, and I would just give them, and, and you, know, you know, pick your worst sports movie, right? And I'm giving that, that coach's speech to kind of fire them up, to kind of place in them this idea that you, sh- you shouldn't feel limited. Don't feel scared. And I had this rebounding drill that we would do. It was essentially, it was a, it was a whole, it was a mad, it was, a, it was madness. I would stand with the ball and just throw it at the goal, and it was everybody against everybody. And first person to get three rebounds wins. And we never once finished this drill because every time it would end with somebody crying. Someone would take a basketball to the face. Somebody in their, in their zeal to win would just wipe out another kid. And I, t- I swear to you, I, I did it every week. I mean, it did not matter. I mean, because there was just this sense, and you think, bro, now you're psycho, and I don't want to hear the rest of your message. But it's like, it was really important to me, not just with my girls, but with all of these girls. I don't want there to be anything in their head that they feel like limits them. I don't want timidity or fear to hold them back from having an opportunity that they feel like they can take. There's so much out there that can make them feel limited. And so many stereotypes out there that limit. I, I, I I never wanted that. And now you enter church world. And if, and if the world is confusing about what a woman is supposed to be, about what a girl is supposed to be, and how a girl grows up to be a confident woman, and what, and what the ideal role model is, I don't know, honestly. I mean, this is someone who has dedicated their career and really their life, their passion, to leading churches. I don't know that we help a whole lot in really providing these sorts of encouragements. I, I think I think way too often we have failed, and again, there is a parallel. There is a parallel message to get about the same way that we are failing. I think young boys and young men, but I think that we have failed. And there is a passage, you know, to kind of tile this back to Proverbs. This is the last chapter. It is the last passage of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter thirty-one, and we have this passage in Proverbs thirty-one that if you if you were to Google Proverbs thirty-one, the first thing you are going to get is really not necessarily like, like Bible like the, the Bible passage, but just the infinite, almost infinite number of women's ministries out there in the world named themselves Proverbs 31. Everything's Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31. Because there's this passage that talks about this ideal woman and what an ideal woman is and what an ideal woman can be. And even still, even though this passage exists, And God has had his say, and I think a very powerful statement to make. I still think that even with God weighing in, there's something even about this passage that kind of unsettles us and 
And I think way too often we try to take this passage and make it fit into our ideas about what we've already thought like the ideal woman is. But I believe that God has some powerful words here for us today. This is a relatively long passage, so bear with me here. It starts in Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10. And this, and this passage is going to be talking about women primarily in the context of being a part of a family. But I do not want anybody here who, as of yet, their family really is it's just me. You know, that, that I think that there are still powerful truths, even though a lot of this is relative to other members of her immediate family. Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night, and she provides food for her family and provides for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So we're going to look at kind of three big picture ideas, I think, that come from this passage. And I think all of them relate to either maybe some misunderstandings that we have of this passage or maybe just some misunderstandings that we have about the role and the strength and of that, that God has, has given uh, to women and the role that he wants them to play. And the first one is this is that the scope of women's leadership and influence is significant. If you look at the description of what this woman is doing and what she is accomplishing, it really is a little bit overwhelming. And we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes, how this passage might could just be a little bit overwhelming. But before we get to that, I just want us to just to take a moment and just think about everything that, that, that this, 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 this woman, this ideal woman, or this picture that, that, that Proverbs is painting here, that the scope of what she is able to do is significant. If I, if I said to you, you know, you know, what do you imagine, Old Testament women, what do you feel like their role was? And I think in your brain, you would start to think 1950s sitcom mom, but without the technology. 
right? That that's that that's that's what it is. And so she has to do. She she makes sure the home everything's good and the kids are good and there's always food and then she's making sure the husband has everything she wants. It just she just has to work a little bit harder because she doesn't have the the electricity and things. But the scope of what she's doing is way more significant than that. I mean, all of that is in there. The ability to provide for the home, to make sure that there's plenty of food, to, to make the clothes herself, and to make sure that they have everything that they need. But there's a lot of other things in there, too, about the, looking at a piece of land and thinking, you know what, I think we need that piece of land. And then she goes and buys the land. She does. She goes and buys the land. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of turning profits here. And then she, through that, she plants a vineyard. She's got, she's got her own business. She is selling things that she makes to people who, who are uh, to varying merchants and to people who are coming in and out of the town. She has a lot of influence. So she has her own business. She has influence in the community. She is making sure that her home is provided for, making sure that her people are provided for. She's making sure that you know, she is supporting and honoring her husband in his role. She's supporting and honoring her kids in what they're doing. The vastness and the scope of what a woman can and should, and again, in this idealistic passage, can and should be involved in, really doesn't seem to have limits. And here's the thing that I think that always happens. Too often when, uh, you know, a, a, a church will start to look at this passage, like, you just feel this need. Well, but you know there's some verses in the Bible that say that there's some things that women can't do. You know, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, and then there's a thing in 1 Timothy, and you need to know that even though this says all this, you need to understand, you understand all these other things. And, 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 and we feel this pressure to always talk about, well, but not everything, though. And, and the analogy that came to my mind is, is often the way that the church talks about sex and sexuality. If I were to say today, hey, okay, well, next week we're going to talk about the church and sexuality, you would imagine, okay, then, we're going to spend next week talking about all of the bad things that sex is. Then we're going to talk about all the ways that you're not supposed to have sex. And too often we say, hey, we want to talk about how God has empowered women to lead in their home, in their church, and in their community. Okay, well, we're going to talk about all of the things that women aren't supposed to do. And we do not spend enough time to just to stop and say, and it seems like that God has carved out and created a lot of space for women to be strong, powerful, influential, to have leadership, and I, I just don't think that we have made an, an, enough of this. And, and, I, and I, I fall into that category myself. I feel like that there are a few women that I am, that I am close with, that I, have, that, that are, I would say are, 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 are top-level leaders in this church, both on staff and off staff, that, 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 that I view this way and that I really want to empower this way to feel like that they have great leadership. But I, I think that, you know, I've been here almost 11 years now that I've not done a good job of just kind of making sure that everyone knows, and especially that every woman knows, that there is a great place here for you. And we see you, 
and we see your gifts and your strengths and your, and your potential to influence, and we want that. We want the skills and the leadership that you have. We want that here. And if someday we are, uh, we are going through a book of the Bible and it happens to be Ephesians, it happens to be 1 Timothy, it happens to be one of these books, we can talk about these very narrow, small things in which God has t- seemed to put at least some restrictions and limitations. But there's no need to talk about that right now because this passage doesn't talk about that. What this passage talks about is that a, that a woman is valued far more for far more different, far many different things and far more scope of leadership and influence than the 1950s black and white sitcoms that I think too often we have, we have associated with what the Bible says about women. And so the first idea is that, that the scope of women's leadership and influence is significant. But there's a real challenge with this passage. And, 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 and I don't feel it as much because the past, I'm not the primary audience of this passage. But I've heard it enough times to feel like that maybe there is something that is overwhelming about this. And we'll say it this way, that this does not mean that you have to, quote, do it all. Because if, if the point of this passage was, okay, in order for you to be a successful woman in the eyes of God, here's all that you need to do. You need to wake up in the morning while it's still dark and make sure that you gather up all the food. And before anyone is po- ever awake, you have gathered up and created enough food for everyone to be able to eat. And, and again, you have to do this, with, again, she had to do it without any modern benefits at all. And so you have to do this, you have to make sure every meal is provided for, that the house is completely clean, that everything is in order, and you have to have multiple small businesses running on the side, and you have to make all your own clothes and all of your kids' own clothes as you're selling clothes to other people as well. So as long as you've got multiple small businesses and your house is completely good and everybody is provided for with food that you, you know, essentially... You, you, you raised the crops and, and cultivated them yourselves and you cooked everything. If you can manage to do all of that, then in the end, your husband will look at you and say, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. I mean, there's, I mean it, it, it's, it's, it's too much. And this is where it's important for you to know that this, essentially that this passage is an acronym. We don't know it because it wasn't written in English, but essentially in the Hebrew alphabet, the first letter of each one of these verses is starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet and kind of works it all the way through from what we would call A to Z. And so it's not describing, essentially saying, in order to be a good woman, you have to do all of these things. These are just things that are true of great women. And, and, these, and, 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 and the idea of it is, I think, is to, is to not limit. Let's just put it all out there. Let's just put it all out there. It, it, would, it would be stunning to me that even if in this day that there was anybody who could actually successfully execute everything that is described here. And too often there is that societal pressure that in order to be a successful woman, 
you have to essentially have two full-time plus jobs. I have to be crushing it in some job and at the same time be a full-time mom and a full-time cook and, 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 and. And if I'm not, I'm failing somebody somewhere. And if this doesn't apply to you, that's great. But there are enough people that this applies to that I just want to make sure that we all understand that. Because personally, I have seen the two most important women in my life, I've seen them battle this. My mom was essentially a full-time stay-at-home mom for you know, all the way up until I was, I was 14, 15 years old. So my brother was six years, so about essentially 20 years. And the way that she talked and the way that she described, I could tell that she felt like she wasn't good enough. That there was, this, there was this calling that she had out there that she could be doing more than being a mom. She, never, she was never resentful. She was always a great mom. And I stand up here today and, and bless and praise her for the sacrifice that she made. But I could tell at times in her that she felt like that there was something missing. And so then she did, she got, when I went to high school, she got a full-time job. And, and, and I could tell that then as she switched, that the guilt just transferred. That now she wasn't being mom enough for me. Which I tried to say this in the most delicate way possible, like, I'm 16. I'm, 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 I'm more than, the less momming. The less momming that's going on here, I mean, the better, the better off it's going to be. And, and plus, we had, we had more money than we'd had before. So I was, I was 100% on board with this. But it didn't matter that my dad was 100% on board. It didn't matter that I was 100% on board. She still felt it. And, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen this in different degrees. I've seen it in my wife who, who feels like she's got, you know, you got, you got, you see, you got, you got, 14 hours in a day and 20 hours of things that could be done and she does about, I would say in 14 hours most days she accomplishes about 16 hours worth of stuff but 16 still ain't 20 and it can be very stressful to think about the things that haven't been done and I want you to hear that God has carved out a specific role and path for you, he has given you certain strengths and he wants you, he wants you to use them. And if that means that you have to accommodate or do something different to make these other things happen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay, I'm going to make my, my primary focus at home. And so we're going to be limited financially. Great. I'm going to focus, I, because of the season, I need to focus more out here. Then I'm going to make sure, I'm still, we, I'm still going to make sure that that this is taken care of too. And you, either if you're by yourself or you with a team with your husband and with your family, you're, you're saying, hey, it's impossible. This Proverbs 31 thing, by and large, is impossible. But I can be who God has called me to be in this season. And so I encourage you to do the best you can to release the guilt and hopefully... The men in your life are affirming you in that. You come up with a plan about what is best for you and your family in this season, and then you and then you make it work. And so I don't want you, with the first point, 
I don't want you to feel limited. I don't want you to feel limited by, by what we think the Bible says when really it's what 1950s sitcoms say. But at the same time, I don't want you to feel this pressure that an unreasonable idea of perfection is the only way to feel successful. And then finally, these last few verses, verse 30, last, last few verses of this passage, just kind of go back to him here in verse 30. It says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Ultimately, we kind of end up in the, in the, in the same place that this whole passage started, this whole book started, where he eventually says that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. This is where he said it in Proverbs chapter 1. And here at the end, he says a little different. That is the fear of the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We begin with that in Proverbs chapter 1, and we end with that here in this description of what a, what a, what a, what a great woman is and what a great woman can be. And also if we go back to this verse, there's again, there, there's, some, there's some bad ways to teach this verse. And I want to make sure that we're hearing it the best possible way. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what he's saying here is, you know, I mean, sometimes you can try to be charming, but sometimes charming is deceit. And you, you, can, you, can, you can focus on beauty, and, but beauty, I mean, it, it comes and goes. And so too often the way that this can be taught or maybe the way that we hear it is, is it can be a little bit insulting to women. Well, you know how you women be. You all be with your, with your talking and trying to deceive guys and all this stuff and you're all pretty there with your makeup and you think that you're all trying, if you can charm guys and if you can be all pretty that that's what makes you great. That ain't what makes you great, woman. And you think, I've never been to a church where I've heard that, and I, I, I hope that you haven't. But even if you've not heard it said that way, it's possible to receive it that way. That essentially what he's saying is like what you women have to stop doing is stop putting so much focus on how you look. And what you women need to stop doing is stop trying to be all deceptive with your talking, you know, with all your words and emotions and how you do us. You can't do that. you got to focus on the Lord, right? Have you, noticed, have you ever noticed that when I, um, when I do bad preacher, he's real southern? Have you noticed that? He's, bad preacher's real southern. It's not coincidental. But the idea of really what he's trying to say is don't let anybody, don't let anybody determine that that is your worth. And obviously the message is you shouldn't view yourself that way too. But it's really less about something bad that you're doing and really is we want to make sure that when you think about it, when you allow yourself to be assessed, when you assess yourself, when other people talk about you, um, it's not just on beauty. It's not just on how charming you are with your words. It's the same for you that it is for all of us, Proverbs chapter 1. It begins with a, with a healthy understanding of, of the prominence of the God of the universe in your life. A healthy fear of the Lord. And then that fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. 
And from that wisdom, what comes from that? What your hands have done, what you do. It's like, it's not about how I look. I'm not going to let you judge me on how I look. I'm not going to let you judge on how charming I am. I'm going to be assessed the way that everyone is. By the first, I have a commitment and honor to the Lord God of the universe. And because of the wisdom that the God of the universe has granted me, this is what he is empowering me to do and who he is empowering me to be in this world. Way too often, you know, the fear of of launching confident, strong women out into the world is the word shrill and angry and bossy get thrown around. When really, God has empowered women. He has made us all very different. Again, this is a subject for a different day. I mean, men and women are very different. And God has uniquely equipped us with different hormones and different hormone levels and, and different body parts and, and, and different different ways of thinking very often. It's, it's two different types of people. God wants you to take what God has given you to do and be someone great. Nothing secondary, nothing second class. And not allow the world to judge you for just, you know, you just don't quite fit my mold. You don't quite fit this mold. You don't quite fit what I think God says women should be or what we think as a society say women are supposed to be. God paints this beautiful picture of all of these opportunities that women have to show honor to their family, to show honor to God, to to accomplish great things in their community. The generosity that this woman shows to the poor, the influence that she has, But as with everyone, and we'll end it here, we'll end our whole book this way. It all begins with each and every one of us with a real fear of the Lord. A real powerful understanding that it is God first that determines who I am. I don't determine who I am. The society doesn't determine who I am. The world doesn't determine who I am. God does. And when, I, and, when, and when I begin there, man or woman, young or old, single or married, when I begin there, then I'm going to trust in who God made me to be. That's where wisdom begins, and that's where life begins.